Hey, it's Andy. Thank you so much for joining us. We've got a great show today. Georgia Tech head coach Jeff Collins joins us and explains how the Yellow Jackets are dealing with the quarantine, especially how their strength coaches are dealing with it. Because remember, they are trying to convert a team from a group that ran the triple option to one that is running a more conventional offense, which means you got to pack on some more pounds. So how do you keep those pounds on when you can't have your guys in the weight room? Coach Collins also explains why Georgia Tech is hiring a consultant to help the players build their own brands because he believes it can help them and it can help the program. Here's Jeff Collins. life been like for you i mean this is uh, you've got your your welcome to atlanta background with a with a waffle house logo and, and basically great yellow jackets and uh, what's it been like for you trying to communicate with everybody this way instead of face to face the way you'd like yeah so then first and foremost it starts with making sure that uh, all of our players are safe healthy uh, all of our staff members are safe and healthy and uh you know understanding that in real time that we're going through an unprecedented uh, time in our nation's history. So we try to be very sensitive in every single thing that we do uh, relative uh, to what people are going through. Um, but then at the same time, um, you know, we're trying to make sure we're continue our development uh, as a football team, as a football staff and uh, recruiting at a high level. We signed with the top two uh, recruiting classes, of Georgia tech history uh, in early February and just continuing uh, that momentum that we've created uh, while still at the same time being sensitive, uh, you know, what's happening around us in the world as well. Well, and, and that's something that, that you guys have, have really got to deal with because you're transitioning, especially offensively, from from being an option team under Paul Johnson to to being a more conventional offense now. Uh, you got to get some weight on those offensive linemen. you got to get some weight on your defensive linemen. I know you were in the middle of doing that when this all shut down. How do you keep that on them when they're all kind of scattered to the four winds? Yes, as we went through uh, the the part of the offseason before we really cranked it up in the winter, one of the biggest initiatives um, as we quality controlled uh, the last season, we had to gain an average of 10 pounds per man on the roster. A, one is through development, uh, two is through recruiting, and uh, we were really uh, relentlessly attacking that. Uh, it's no secret we, we inherited uh, one of the two smallest uh, rosters in America, you know, for size per person. Offensive line was six foot one, 264. Our defensive line we inherited was even smaller than that. Um, and then through recruiting, we signed an offensive line class that was six foot five, 294 on average. Wow. Uh, the line class went six, 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 five, six, five, six, six. Uh, across the front four that we signed. Um, but through the spring, January, February, and the first part of March, uh, the goal was 10 pounds per man. We actually exceeded it at offensive line, gained an average of 19. Receiver, we were at 17. Uh, tight end, I think we were at 18. So just tremendous gains across the board. Uh, and now the challenge every day is to continue those gains that we had made uh, in those first three months and making sure our team is getting stronger and bigger 
even while we're away from each other. Now, how does that work? Do your, your strength coaches get those guys together at a particular time every day? Do they send them workouts? To, uh, I've seen yours have put, posted some videos of, of their own at-home workouts. It seemed like this is – strength coaches like to be creative. It seems like this is really giving them a chance to be as creative as humanly possible. Yeah, and we've got the best one in America, Lou Corrala. Um, he's probably gone viral – uh, probably at least six times uh, since this whole situation. Uh, we've been in this, you know, current landscape that we're in. And just with his creativity, um, I talked to about 15 high school head coaches uh, every single morning. That's kind of how I start my day. And invariably, I'd probably say 30% of uh, the high school coaches that I've talked to, their strength coach right now in this uh, current landscape is Georgia Tech's head strength coach. They they take his workouts, send it to their team, send it to their staff uh, to get them engaged off of what we're doing, which is really cool. Uh, What we try to do, I've hired a young, energetic coaching staff, and what we try to do every day, none of the workouts we make mandatory. We can't follow up. We can't, you know, we can give them a plan, hope that they do it, but we can't make it mandatory. So what we do uh, is our coaching staff gets up early, they attack the workout. Some of us, I'll go ahead and admit, have to modify <laughs> Coach Lincoln. Uh, but we get up, we get after it. We send video, we post videos. Uh, you know, we send messages to our guys. We're all in this thing together. This is uncharted territory. Um, but one of the biggest things that we try to do is the power of example is more important than the example of power. But we, we try to make sure that we're engaged with our guys. You know, if we're out there, uh, they had a 2020 workout on Friday, or it's 2020 reps they did in a Friday workout. I'm gonna be honest with you, Andy. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not doing that, right? I, but I might. I might do this. Is this on on the internet somewhere? Can I find it? Absolutely. I retweet every one of them, um, so it, you can check that out. But I went out and rode 20 miles point two and posted it to our guys. Posted it to. Uh, you know, the position groups, our coaching staff, so that they know that we're uh, engaged with them as well. I, I might be ready to play for you by the end of this summer. I, I need some more workouts. So this is good. I, I'm going to start stealing you guys stuff. One of the other things you guys are doing, kind of looking ahead to when things do get back to normal, uh, you're announcing on, on Tuesday that you got a partnership with J1S, which is a, a branding firm, and, and you're going to be working on a, a campaign called For the 404, which is that's the Atlanta area code. Uh, the, the listeners can't hear it, but I'm or can't see it, but I'm looking at your hat right now. It says 404, and and you've also uh, you're consulting with uh, with Jeremy Darlow, who used to be uh, the director of marketing for football at Adidas, and he's going to come in and work with your your athletes on building their own personal brands. Which you know you're the, you're probably the best coach to talk about because most coaches don't care a whit about this stuff. You care very deeply about it, you know. Why is it important to have a brand that is recognizable and that, that people say, oh, 404, Waffle House, that's, that's Georgia Tech, that's Jeff Collins? Yep, yep. As I, for whatever reason, I kind of intuitively knew that my entire career. Um, I think you've written articles, you know, when I was in the SEC as a coordinator about being the minister of mayhem and just brand recognition. It was, uh, it was the can of swag that got me into it, by the way. The can <laughs> of swag was the first, the first Jeff Collins brand I was really into. Yeah, so that and that those kind of things resonate with recruits, uh, resonate with your players, and that that really matters a lot. 
Um, I'm from Atlanta, from the 404, uh, born and bred here, and I love uh, everything that happens around the city of Atlanta. Um, I'm blessed to be at, you know, one of the top five academic institutions right in the heart of Atlanta. And I just think that, that what we have to sell, the internship opportunities, the cultural piece, entertainment piece, music piece, uh, all of those things are unique to the city of Atlanta. And, uh, you know, we try to make sure that, you know, when I took this job, that we wanted to embrace the city of Atlanta. Uh, when I became head football coach at Temple University uh, three years ago, <clears throat> one of the first books I read was Jeremy Darlow's Brands Win Championships. And I had intuitively known that, but to see it in paper um, from somebody who had been a part of the uh, some of the most iconic product launches in our sports history <clears throat> and reading the, the insight that he had, we applied it at the last place we were at. We're applying it here, um, you know, at Georgia Tech. Because when you think of the 404, when you think of Waffle House, as you said, uh, you think of Georgia Tech. And I think that is a cool place to position yourselves in, um, you know, because I think there's a, there's a lot of people uh, in the Southeast that, you know, were born and raised on SEC football, um, some other teams that, are in, that we recruit against. Uh, but every person in the Southeast loves Waffle House. They kind of see us uh, aligned with, with that great restaurant. All of the upper-level management are uh, Georgia Tech grads, and uh, they're all in with, you know, being a part of uh, the visibility of Georgia Tech. And I think the, the talking point the last year or so is player name, image, and likeness. Right. And, you know, the big thing for me is we want to promote, regardless of how that conversation evolves, um, what the, the, the things that are put in place – uh, however that flows, I think it's important for us to help our guys build our brands regardless of how that, you know, that unfolds. We want to be very player-oriented. Uh, we want the focus to be on our players. Uh, we post our players' social media tag in everything that we post so that they can start to build their brand and for us to educate them with the partnership of J1S, with the partnership of Jeremy Darlow, I think that separates us and differentiates us apart from everybody else that we're recruiting against and uh, that we're, you know, culturally building a program to compete with other places. Well, I, I was thinking about Jeremy has a couple books. His, his second one is called Athletes or Brands Too, and there's a, a couple charts in there that I found fascinating because, you know, and he's not looking at, at the time when he wrote it, it, wasn't, it had nothing to do with this NIL stuff, but he's looking at it from a perspective of, Maybe you're not going to make it to the NFL. Maybe you're going to go into the professional world. But that a college athlete should capitalize on that brand building opportunity when they're playing because it's never going to be higher than when they're. And I, I think with Georgia Tech, like I remember when I was an intern uh, at the Atlanta Journal Constitution, Joe Hamilton was one of the most famous people in in the city of Atlanta. Like he was a rock star in Atlanta. And obviously, Joe didn't have a, a great NFL career. But he's been able to to use that and, and help him you know throughout his life. How important is it for these guys to build a brand for themselves? You know, where, where people recognize them for being well, one, maybe a good athlete, but two, you know, maybe they're a smart guy, maybe they're you know a funny guy, and and it may, can help them build a career afterward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the uh, recognition they can have by establishing the right brand, us educating them and how to do it. We also have a platform that reaches millions of people. And we try to make sure we promote our players uh, all, this, all the time. 
a lot of places, um, you know, promote their brand, their image, uh, what it means for them to align with certain things. But we want it to be about the players. Everything that we do in this program, we build trust, we build love, we build care so that they have an opportunity when they leave Georgia Tech that they can have an unbelievable career and leverage every bit of the education and every bit of the athletic experience that they have here in Atlanta and Georgia Tech. And I just think, especially in the Southeast, uh, we're better positioned than almost any other college football program uh, to provide this kind of platform uh, for our players. And we just want to do it the right way and educate them uh, as much as possible. I'm interested in you talking about how you instinctively, you know, kind of glommed onto this stuff early in your career. And I was thinking about the money down thing. I remember I, I did an interview with the, when you were at Florida, uh, the managers whose job it was to hold up the money down sign on, on third down or fourth down. Yeah. But, and, and it's funny cause people say, Oh, that's silly. You don't need that stuff. But how much does it help when you're trying to train your players to understand this is how you get off the field to have that visual aid right there? When we did it, it was organic. It was real. It's what we believed in. And, uh, you know, we're able to, in a small way, make it a very big deal. Because uh, if you win on third down, uh, you're going to have a lot of success, either offensively or defensively. Uh, we had a lot of success the last place we were at, at Temple University, um, playing great third down defense, converting on offense, all of those things. Uh, we've got a really cool thing that we're doing this season relative to money down. Uh, I won't give it away just yet, um, but there's some partnerships in place that we want to give to the greater good on third down and third down conversions and third down stops. Um, so I think that part of the branding piece, uh, now that I'm a head coach and you can kind of see ways that you can affect other people and make other people's lives better, um, you know, we're doing some initiatives that I think are going to be really cool. And I'll make sure Mike Flynn, Andy – I'll make sure he gets you the scoop before we release exactly what we're doing on Money Down for this. Oh, season. that's that sounds great. I, I like being the official Money Down correspondent. I, it, when 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 you guys were doing that at Florida, it was. Uh, I've never seen anybody have as much fun jumping up and down holding a sign as as those two managers that you had doing that. So. No, that well, one of them works for us in exactly. Georgia Tech now. Yes, equipment manager does a great job, and uh, you know I think that's it's just a, it's just a really good deal. Let's talk about the team itself, because you knew coming in that this was going to be a different type of, of job because you were you were changing schematically so drastically. And, you know, the, there were there was going to be a learning curve. So what was last season like for you? And, and uh, you know, take me through some of those those tougher games and then you get to, to NC State on a Thursday night and everybody's watching and you, you have a nice breakthrough moment. Yeah, so I, I mean, it's no secret uh, this was one of the most historic transitions uh, in the last 40 years of college football. Um, and then, you know, coming into it, so A, this was my dream job. This is my dream job since I was a high school football player, since I was a young graduate assistant for George Leary. I used to speak in real terms uh, to Brent Key, who's our offensive line coach, when I'm the head coach at Georgia Tech. So I already had a plan, a vision being the head football coach here and have been formulating the ways uh, to make this back into the national power uh, that I know Georgia Tech can be and should be. And, uh, you know, just the, coming in uh, when I took the job, I knew it was going to be a transition, right? Um, 
But then you learn when you get here, we had the second uh, youngest team in America. We had the second smallest senior class in America. And then you go and you find out we have the second smallest roster uh, as far as physical size in America. Um, so we had to just – there. it was nothing disparaging against the previous style and the previous staff. Um, you know, tr- great, tremendous respect for everything yeah, that they it, did. It, it worked. It's just but it's just day, different. Yeah. It com- I mean, it couldn't be – it couldn't be more diametrically opposed, uh, you know, styles of play and philosophies and those kind of things. Um, so we had to uh, – everything had to change culturally, how we practice, how we lift weights, uh, how we enter the building, uh, how we film study. Everything was different. And we spent a year teaching the guys exactly what our process is. I said from day one, you know, once we started going through spring ball and I kind of got a feel for where we were, that the best thing that we had to do is we had to just get better every single day. We had to focus on the process, couldn't focus on the results, get better every single day, compete, give ridiculous efforts, stay together, play together, all the things culturally that we believe in. And if you watch us for an entire year, you said Thursday night ESPN downtown Atlanta, we win an ACC game, game seven, I think, of the season. We go down and beat Miami Mm -hmm. uh, in over. Time, uh, you know, played really, really good. Uh, it was one possession game against the uh, team that won the Coastal in Virginia late in the season. One possession game uh, against Pitt, who was uh, second in the Coastal. Um, so we just continued to get better. And I said and made a mindset before we even started, the only way I can approach this is to be positive, relentless positive energy at all times and commit to the fact that we're going to get better. And we did that, and I was able to do that, and I think it helped us. Our guys kept playing hard. They kept growing. Now, fast forward 343 days after our first practice a year ago, we walked out onto the field for spring practice one, and we looked transformed. Physically, size, we brought in four offensive linemen in January, we brought in two big-time quarterbacks in January and just the physical stature, how we carried ourselves, confidence, uh, the way we practiced, everything was the way it was supposed to be. And now the challenge is now that we've been away uh, for five weeks now, going on uh, however long it's going to be, keeping that mojo and keeping that development piece in place. I, I actually asked Mac Brown this a few weeks ago because he's in the same boat you are in, in his second year, but you, yours is even more drastic. Can you imagine having to do what you did last year now with this, with all right. this going on? Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things that you, you um, we got six practices in, which was really good. Um, but, you know, I've said before our culture and our program, the way we build our team is in January, February, the first week or so of March before we hit the field for spring practice. Because our work ethic, uh, how we attack everything, the workouts that we do uh, really build our culture and build our team. And we got all of those workouts in um, except for one. And, uh, you know, it sets us up to, you know, hopefully whenever we return uh, to be in a good spot. How, how was the buy-in? Because obviously it was a, a dramatic change for the players too. And I, I was around you guys a little bit last spring and everybody seemed to be having a pretty good time. How, how did the buy-in go as the season went along? 
Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. You know, even though we had a very small uh, senior class, there was only eight guys. Um, you know, the the they kept everything in place. Uh, we told them uh, they needed to be the foundation for the culture shift, and uh, they did an unbelievable job uh, from day one we got here to Atlanta. Um, the two biggest things that co- I told the coaching staff, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So we have to make sure these players know how much we care about them, how invested we are in them. And then Bobby Dodd, one of the famous Georgia Tech coaches, uh, has a quote we hang in our staff room, either love your players or get out of coaching. Every single day our players know we love them. They know we care about them. We're invested in their future as individuals, as well as building an elite college football team. And I think the basis of our culture uh, is built on effort. And as long as those things are in place, you've got a chance to get better. And we did that all year long last year. So right now, we're, with everybody separated, how do you and your staff continue to let the players know, hey, we care, and a little bit of, hey, we're, we're watching. We're, we're paying attention. Yeah. Well, it, here's the cool thing, um, and I've said this before. I think the way we set up our culture – uh, the way we set up our communication pieces, we're better prepared to handle this situation than anybody else in college football. And what I mean by that is, obviously, the position coaches are going to have tremendous relationships with their players. But we also divide the team up into 10 different teams. And I talked about Brent Key, our line coach. He's got an offseason team uh, that I think only has two offensive linemen on his team. Dave Patnode, offensive coordinator, quarterback's coach. His offseason team does not have a quarterback on his team. And it's the same story throughout. And those coaches and that team go through the entire offseason winning uh, points, uh, academic success, community service events, uh, in the workouts, the different competitions that we do. They're judged and they're held accountable and they uh, get rewarded uh, for how they work together. Well, those communication parts are still in play. You know, we talk to our position groups four times a week. Well, I tell the coaches, you've got to get on a FaceTime or a Zoom twice a week with your offseason team. So just layers that we have built uh, within our organization, the group text change that we have uh, that is just constantly in place for the last 16 months, well, that serves us very well now that we're in this situation where most teams, all they have is their position group. Yep. We've got layers upon layers upon layers, uh, and we've got a young staff, a technologically savvy staff that is able to relate better than most staffs in college football don't have the relationship piece that we have. That's a, Louisville does something similar, too, uh, with Scott Satterfield. I, I know when Michigan State had it rolling, uh, Mark D'Antonio had set something up like that where he wanted position coaches dealing with players that weren't in their group. He wanted players dealing with guys that weren't in their position group it, because that builds a, a stronger team. Those That builds some bonds. That builds friendships. And I, How much does it, it help, you know, say at practice when, when you've got a coach – you know, and, and maybe it's an offensive coach and he's dealing with a scout team D lineman who's on in his off season group. And you know, that, that guy's going to listen to him now. Yep. And it, everything in our organization is about relationships, but because if you have a relationship with somebody, you can push them and get more out of them than somebody who doesn't have a relationship. And we have those relationships going across the team on so many different levels that, 
it, it's real. It's genuine. Uh, the other bear that we do, I've done this for the last three years. After every single off-season workout, so we have a competition Tuesdays. We get together Thursdays, old school mat drills and all the high-intensity circuit stuff we do. But at the end of it, we'll go back and we'll talk about every single player on the roster. And if you're Brent Key, the O-line coach, you're hearing somebody else from nine other voices how certain members of your offensive line group did. And it's not biased. It is just this is – he's on my team. This is how he did in the workout today. Here's where he struggled. Here's where he excelled. And you're hearing it from an unbiased perspective. Uh, and there's a full knowledge of everybody in the organization because we have <laughs> equipment staff in there. Training staff in there, strength staff obviously is in there, our recruiting department is in there. So that, that way there's layer upon layer of touch points and contact points that we have with all of our players. And most people, most college football programs, especially ones I've been around, can't wait to get to the X and O's piece. Can't wait to go do more film study. Well, it's the players that matter. If everything you're doing isn't centered around the players, the player's development, uh, the, the player's mental health and well-being, then I think you're, you're missing the point of why we're college football coaches uh, to begin with, and at Georgia Tech, we'll never lose that focus. So before I let you go, I one question that I've asked a few people. What have you learned from this experience, from, from working this way, from dealing with your players as they're scattered around, that you may take and add back in when the world returns to normal? Yes, one of the big things we even talked about it today in the staff meeting is just being extremely efficient in your work, being extremely uh, sensitive to other people's times. Uh, like right now, my, my three-and-a-half-year-old, I mean, she had four hours of, uh, of homeschool today, uh, French lessons, and I mean, it's just it, it's crazy the things that she's doing, and we're getting to see and be engaged with it where we would never get to be you know, if we were right now being out on the road in spring recruiting, we would not get these experiences. So we're having to be very, very efficient in our work, um, making sure that every single thing that we do matters, not just sitting around wasting time uh, just to keep milking the clock until it's time to punch out. And I think we can carry those things over once we're all back together into the season. Uh, we're actually starting a game plan for our first four opponents in a virtual world. And the, the, the challenge to them, too, is let's remember how we're working right now and how we're going to replicate this once we're back together in real time and make sure we're maximizing efficiency uh, at every single thing that we do. Now, Andy, the, the cool thing is for the last five weeks, we have sat down to dinner as a family every single night. That never so that, had, had happened in your entire career. Ever, ever. And I'm not saying it's great food. But, but we are, we're sitting down and we're enjoying the time together. And, uh, you know, I'm getting to see my, you know, in the last five weeks, uh, my daughter's grown so much and I'm getting to see in real time, uh, her development, which is, which is really cool too. All right. Well, I apparently have a, a FaceTime crisis uh, with an eight-year-old that I need to solve. So I, I, I know, I know how that goes, but coach, thank you so much for your time. And, and I appreciate it. Thanks, Andy. You're the best, man. That's it for Wednesday's show. Thank you so much for listening. Tune in Thursday morning for a very, very special edition of the Andy Staples Show. Extra special guest on the way. 
We'll let you know as Wednesday proceeds exactly who that is. But it's going to be a fun one. We'll talk to you tomorrow.